Welcome into this edition of the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast, along with Blue Ribbon Associate Editor Blake Lovell. I'm Kevin Ingram, and we are happy to have you with us. Blake, what's going on, man? Yeah, Kevin, uh, good to talk to you as always. And uh, as you know, we are uh, hard at work trying to get uh, everything finished with with Blue Ribbon. And so uh, I am uh, finally down to a couple teams left. And so uh, we're almost to to the finish line here. More challenging this year just with the way this offseason has been? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it's just getting in touch with everyone. And, and it's not even that, honestly. It's the fact that they don't really know what to say. I mean, what, what can a coach say that still hasn't seen his guys since March, right? And so, uh, there's, there's a lot of these, which, you know, I, I do the Big West and of course everything in California. I mean, there's a lot of those guys still at this point and, you know, we're talking in late September still haven't even seen their guys yet. And so it's, uh, you can imagine how that goes. So. Well, the SEC is out with the start dates for conference play, December 29th and 30th, 20 dates for 18 games. You'll have two open dates. Uh, Ten of the SEC teams will play in the, in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. The other four will play one another uh, during that uh, part of the schedule. But at least we have a, a target date, don't we, Blake, to, to when this thing is going to get started. We don't know exactly how it's all going to look, but at the end of December we will have uh, SEC basketball getting cranked up. Yeah, at least we do have that, and I think that gives them something to go off of uh, in terms of just having an idea of, of something to aim for. Like you said, there's nothing set in stone, and, and even, you know, as we know, with as this whole thing has played out, I mean, even, you know, a week before game time, there may not be anything set in stone. I mean, there could still be a lot of flexibility, and you may have to shuffle things around. It just it just depends, and you don't really know when that's going to be. But I think having that, that date to aim for and, and, you know, knowing what the schedule is going to look like, at least from a conference standpoint, gives these teams a little bit more flexibility in terms of how they approach, you know, their non-conference scheduling. And I think think that you know it's going to be easier for the sec probably to do scheduling than it is some of these mid-major conferences that you know don't really know maybe specifically still what they're going to do so uh, at least the sec has something to aim for and uh, we will see if everything uh, goes according to plan it will be interesting to see what happens with non-conference scheduling teams are allowed to start playing november 25th and you've had blake all this discussion about you know mtes and playing in bubbles and all that stuff and what, what do you think's realistic on how many games teams will actually end up playing yeah, I think that's going to be the most interesting part of this is to see, you know, because, again, we we know how many conference games you're going to play. It's just a matter of, okay, are you going to be able to find a way to, you know, hit, a, let's say, double digits when it comes to those non-conference games? And, and how do you structure all that? And, and as you mentioned, Kevin, I mean, the, the bubbles and such. I mean, how many teams can you get there? How many games can you play? I think those are the things that we still don't know the answer to. And I'll say just from – Talking to some of the coaches, I think they don't necessarily know the answer to that yet uh, because they are. I think a lot of them are still scurrying around trying to figure out how they're going to do the scheduling process because it's unlike anything they've done before. I mean, they have to be very, you know, creative, I think, in finding different ways to to make this work. And will that, you know, will that lead to more teams in the SEC, let's say, playing teams from the ACC or the Big 12? You know, of course, we have the Big 12 Challenge, but does that lead to more power conference teams playing power conference teams versus, you know, how do you schedule with with some of the mid-majors and all that? And I think there's still going to be a nice blend in terms of, you know, you still want to try to to play, I think, as tough of a schedule as you can, just not knowing what the NCAA tournament process could look like once we actually get there. Uh, But uh, I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's just something where – you try to get as many games as you can, knowing that, quite frankly, it could be a situation where some of those games wind up being postponed or canceled. So, Give folks a little uh, preview of the Blue Ribbon SEC forecast. Uh, of course, as Blake was talking about, uh, putting the finishing touches on the Blue Ribbon yearbook. 
Tennessee number one, Kentucky two, number three, Alabama, number four, LSU, number five, Florida. We, we'll maybe talk about the rest of them in a moment. But uh, that top five sound uh, pretty close uh, as far as how you might see them stacking up in this coming season. Yeah, that's a pretty talented top five. I think I think all those teams in particular, to, to be honest with you, I mean, you could – I mean, I would, I'm pretty strong and firm in saying that I think Tennessee's the best team in the SEC. I've said that for a while now. And obviously when they got Ponds back, uh, I think that was something that, that really helped in terms of submitting them as a – I mean, as we know, ranking them in the top five in Blue Ribbon. Um, so I think there's no doubt that Tennessee, to me, is, is the number one team. you got to put Kentucky at second. I think they're, they're, they're a team that's just so talented. We never know what we're going to get with Kentucky. The Kentucky <laughs> right. we see in, in December is going to look a lot different probably than the Kentucky we see in, in February and March, and we just know that at this point. Um, so if they start slow, you still always expect John Calipari to find a way to figure it out, and I think that's what we'll see here with Kentucky. Then, of course, Alabama is a team we've talked about a lot this summer. Uh, I'm very high on Alabama. Their roster is just so talented, and, and Nate Oates finally has the guys in there that I think really fit his system. And then with LSU and Florida, I mean, these are two teams that, you know, Florida's become a team for me that that's hard to trust because we, we've we seen Florida be very, very talented. Uh, I thought last year they had a Final Four type of caliber team, and they just never had that consistency. And I think that's been one of the things uh, for them. And I know that's frustrated Mike White is you just want to be able to find more consistency, and he really wants to find that with this team. And then LSU, uh, there are unknowns there, uh, you know, given kind of the stuff off the floor and everything. But Talent-wise, I mean, LSU is very talented. So if you can't go wrong, uh, I sure. think, with, with those five teams in a different order uh, and then really even some of the teams behind them, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, uh, you could even make the argument that some of them may belong in that group. Yeah, I'll give you the rest of the uh, the Blue Ribbon forecast. Number six, Ole Miss. Number seven, Auburn. Number eight, Arkansas. Nine, South Carolina. Ten, Mississippi State. Eleven, Texas A&M. Twelve, Georgia. Thirteen, Missouri. And 14, Vanderbilt. So uh, that, that's how they stack up in the uh, Blue Ribbon forecast. And, man, you, you kind of look down the way, and there's there's some pretty talented teams and talented coaches that are even in, sitting there in some of those uh, double-figure spots. Yeah, there is. And, and I tell you, this is always one of the, the hardest things. And, of course, you know, this was this was not something I put together in terms of, of this order. But for yeah. me, just individually, when I look at this every year, um, just as someone who, you know, has covered this conference and such, it's, this is always the hardest thing is to figure out how to put – what order to put these teams in. And I think this year it's very difficult. And we say that every year. I feel like I'm repeating myself. But it really is. Like, it's just – it's one of those situations where Arkansas at number eight to me – like I could make the case for Arkansas even probably to be up as high as – I mean, I could see Arkansas at four. Or honestly, like best-case scenario, Arkansas at three wouldn't shock me. Like I think it's one of those situations with them. I do think, you know, you look at these teams like Texas A&M, who's at number 11. I mean, they really exceeded expectations um, in Buzz Williams' first season. I mean, we all thought that they could be the worst team or the second-worst team in the SEC last year. And they really came on strong. And now, you know, they've got a lot of that group coming back. And and they add, you know, someone like Kevin Marfo to the mix. Uh, Texas A&M is very talented. So if that's the 11th best team in the SEC, uh, that kind of shows you where the league's at. And even a team like Missouri – you know, they're one, and I actually wrote I wrote the A&M preview and I wrote the Missouri preview uh, for, for Blue Ribbon, but Missouri brings back more experience than any other team in the SEC. Now, it's not a team that's won a lot of games, but at the same time, they bring back a lot, and they are going to be the most experienced team in the league. And what does that, you know, account for in an offseason like this, going into a season like this one, 
where, you know, maybe there's a lot of these guys with newcomers and freshmen and transfers that haven't been able to get on the same page. But for Missouri, I don't think that's going to be much of a problem because these guys have played with each other um, and they kind of know the system at this point. So I also wouldn't be shocked uh, to see two teams like that. And A&M and Missouri uh, may be the ones to watch that they can maybe jump up there even higher. You can find all this and more in the uh, Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, which will be out shortly. Uh, the all-conference team for the preseason, John Fulkerson of Tennessee, Trended Watford, who is the uh, preseason player of the year uh, from for Blue Ribbon, uh, Eve Pons from Tennessee, Keontae Johnson of Florida, John Petty of Alabama. Blake, what does it say about this league that four of those five players in that preseason all-conference team are, are front court guys, John Petty being the exception, uh, the guard from Alabama? Yeah, a lot of size and a lot of athleticism and length in this conference. And uh, we know that in terms of what these guys can accomplish. And I'm glad, you know, you obviously have these guys like this. And really, you know, it seems like guys like, like Fulkerson and even Keontae Johnson at Florida, they're ones that I think you look at and, and you just feel like maybe they still haven't gotten the credit they deserve for, for what they've done specifically in terms of what they've contributed to the programs. And I think this is going to be a season where we really see – the value of two guys like that, obviously Watford, I mean, his, his talent speaks for itself. He's one that I think a lot of people weren't necessarily sure that he'd wind up coming back uh, this season. And then Pons, same situation. I mean, he's the reigning defensive player of the year in the SEC. And, uh, you know, if he, if he winds up being the player of the year, that wouldn't surprise you either, just because I think he's that good. Uh, and then Petty coming back to Alabama, that just gives Alabama another shooting threat. Uh, they, they've just got so many guards to work with there. And, and NATO is going to be able to do whatever he wants to do, I think, on the perimeter uh, there with that particular group. Well, with Blake Lovell, I'm Kevin Ingram. We're doing our SEC basketball podcast from Blue Ribbon. I'd like to preview a couple of teams each time we do this, Blake. This week I thought we'd look at the two Mississippi teams, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, Ole Miss, as we mentioned a moment ago, pick to uh, finish number six in the SEC in the Blue Ribbon preview. Uh, they had a down year last year after a good first season with Kermit Davis at the helm. They dropped to 12th in the league with a 6-12 and record. Really, they just weren't able to hang on to leads and finish games, and they had chances all SEC guard Brian Tyree has just been a mainstay and was a terrific player for the Rebels for, for years, uh, is gone. Yeah. But how much do you, you feel like they upgraded by adding some grad transfers? Romello White uh, from Arizona State, 6'8 and 235, averaged 10 points and 8 rebounds. And Domencio Vaughn, uh, who was with Ryder, 6'5 and 220, 14 points, 6 boards, but also a really good 3-point shooter at 39%. Those sounds like, you know, you talk about experienced players, those grad transfers, they, they've been around the block, and uh, that seems like that would be a, a nice little way to reload a bit for Ole Miss. Yeah, I think it will. And, and I also think, you know, Jarkel Joyner, who sat out last year from uh, Bakersfield, and, and he's someone, too, that a lot of people are very high on in terms of what he's going to be able to add to, to that backcourt. So when you talk about trying to replace someone like Brian Tyree, and then, you know, you you try to find a way to do that, uh, you know, with one guy, probably not going to be easy to do, but because they have so many different options here, you know, with adding Vaughn, with adding Joyner, uh, of course, Romella White, I mean, that was just a, a huge addition, I think, to get someone like that to, to add, uh, you know, some strength and certainly someone who can rebound on the front court that gives them a lot of options and I think you know there may be some people that look at Ole Miss and say well how you know how are you looking at Ole Miss as, as the number six team in the SEC in a, in a year like this where it's just so loaded um, and you know and maybe they're Arkansas South Carolina whoever other fans that wonder you know well, well how is why is Ole Miss this high and I think it's just the fact that you do have a team where even when you lose someone like Brian Tyree you pretty much had to do a lot and I'm not going to say you had to do everything uh, but he had to do a lot of it yeah. and you know, it's, it's how do you replace that and how can you, how can you say that the team's going to be better? But I think it's just the combination of the other guys they're bringing in. And it's not like they're trying to bring in, 
just one guy that's going to replace him. It's just that they have several different options that are going to add some different elements to that team, maybe that they haven't had uh, the past couple seasons. And, of course, Devontae Shuler's back. Uh, and they've just got – I think it's a very sort of versatile group there, and that's what Kermit Davis wants. He wants guys that can play, you know, different positions. And I think they have this here with this group. And, you know, I just think it's a team that, you know, on paper, if you look at Ole Miss, I mean, I think you can understand why that they are a team that, quite frankly, could wind up being in that top four or five – uh, however you want to look at it, just because they do have a lot of talent on that roster. It's, that program to me is interesting, too, because uh, we got to know Kermit Davis from being around the, the Nashville area here when he was at, at uh, Middle Tennessee for so many years. They have a beautiful new arena. It just seems like that program has a lot to offer, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I think it's just, you know, another one of those situations where you, you just look ahead and you're you're looking around, especially – at the SEC, and you're just thinking, man, you know, this is one of those programs, I think, in Ole Miss where you look at it and you look at what Andy Kennedy built there, um, you, you know, and I think that's one of the I've always said that I, I don't know that Andy Kennedy still gets enough credit for, yeah. for what he was able to do at Ole Miss. Sure. Um, you, know, you know, it wasn't one of those situations where they're going out and, and winning 28 games a year or anything like that, but – Considering where the program was at, and I think to what he took it to, to have the resources now, you know, to have the pavilion there, um, it's just a much better program than, than it used to be. And it's one that I think that was what attracted Kermit Davis to the job. And now we're seeing, you know, what he's able to accomplish there. I know they struggled a little bit last year, but uh, I do think this is a big bounce back season for him. And they recruit very well right now. Uh, and so if they're able to come out and have some success and be a team that makes the NCAA tournament this season, I think things are just going to keep on rolling there uh, for the Rebels. Meanwhile, over in the uh, eastern part of Mississippi, you find Mississippi State, and uh, they tied for fourth in the SEC last season at 11-7, and seven, lost three starters off that team. A lot to replace for Ben Howland. You lose big men, uh, Reggie Perry and Robert Woodward, but they, they've retooled a little bit as far as big dudes, and that's the way Ben Howland likes to play is just, just hammer people inside. How much can Abdullah do raise his game you know, in terms of offense? We know what a good offensive rebounder yeah. he is. He's a shot blocker. But can he be more of a scoring threat? And, and are they good enough at the guard spots to go with some of the power they have inside? Yeah, this is a team that, that I, I'll tell you, I have a hard time getting a grasp on because I, I just I don't know exactly what we're going to see from them because they lost so many different guys that, that seemingly – you know, I mean, Reggie Perry, I mean, he's another one. I mean, you just look at that guy and all the different things he added. It wasn't just the stuff that was on the stat sheet. I mean, he just brought a different dimension to that team. And, of course, Woodward's the same way. Robert Woodward's, I mean, he was just su such a good player. And so I, I think you, you have to replace guys. And then, you know, to me, I think, Kevin, it's, it's a situation where you see talented guys on the roster, but you don't ever know exactly how they're going to work themselves into those expanded roles. And right. like you mentioned with Abdul Dew, I mean, we know what he can do on defense. Um, you know, great defensive players, got the length. But now that he has to become someone that, that has become more of a reliable scorer, can he do that? And can some of these other guys – be able to do that. I think that's going to be the big question uh, for them to, to be able to see if, if they can match up with, let's say, a team like Tennessee or Kentucky uh, or on down the line with some of the length that they have uh, on those teams. And so I'm very curious about Mississippi State because, you know, I talked about Texas A&M and Missouri and teams like that. And, you know, I can see maybe looking at those teams and saying, okay, well, are they ones that could jump a team like Mississippi State? I mean, in best-case scenario, I think they probably could just because they have more guys coming back right. and they have kind of that nucleus in place. And so I think Mississippi State's kind of that wild-card team to me because you could see them being in a spot where – 
if things go well, I mean, they're a team that, again, has the talent to, to be able to, to compete right there in the top half, you know, if not right near the top half of the SEC. But if things don't and you don't have some of these guys step into those bigger roles and be able to produce at a pretty high level, uh, you could also see this team uh, probably struggle a bit this season. One thing that has been interesting to me about the SEC over the last few years is how the coaching star power has raised. And to me, I go back and think about when Ben Howland arrived in the SEC. You know, he had so much success at UCLA with multiple Final Fours and, you know, came close to winning a national championship there. But, you know, he's one of those guys that's really added a lot to this conference to get, you know, coaches like him and some of the others that have come into this league the last few years. And, you know, we talked about that forecast and how the teams might stack up. And you look at every Every team, and and it, it's just really interesting to to see who all is coaching in this league these days. Yeah, so somebody's got to finish one through fourteen. That's right? exactly I right. That's, yep. that's the problem is that uh, everybody comes in and you've got all these coaches with these uh, accomplished histories, but it's like, well, one of those guys is probably going to be finishing twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, somewhere in there. So uh, it's it's definitely not easy. And I think you know Mississippi State too is not traditionally been an easy place to win. I mean, we know that. Uh, and so I, I thought even when he took the job, like that's that's not. I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's like obviously the toughest job because you're, you're an SEC school or anything like that. But I mean, it is, again, it, it's hard to sustain success. And I don't think that's maybe even necessarily the case at Mississippi State anymore. I think it's the case in a lot of SEC schools because the league has gotten so much better. It's gotten so much more competitive. There's more depth. And again, I mean, we can even look, Kevin, we can draw the local comparison here at Vanderbilt. It wasn't that long ago that Vanderbilt was a team competing in the top five of the SEC seemingly every year yep. and having a chance to be a team, you know, that finished right there in that top half. And you came into the season high expectations. You knew they were probably a team that's going to be right there on the bubble, if not an NCAA tournament team. But now look at where they are. And that's not to throw anything at Bryce Drew or Kevin Stallings or Jerry Stackhouse or anyone. It's just, it's the nature of the SEC to where if you can't find a way year in and year out, to be able to sustain that success, you can drop back in a hurry in this league now, given where it's at, because of all the coaches that are here, all the recruiting and everything that's going on, uh, you can drop back in a hurry. And that's why, you know, we've seen it with a school like Vanderbilt. And I'm not saying that's going to be Mississippi State, but we've seen like for all these different schools, it's been so hard to sustain that success. And I think it just makes it so much more impressive. You know, obviously what Kentucky's been able to do, even a team like Auburn, which we haven't talked a lot about. I mean, for Bruce Pearl to be able to do what he's done there uh, for a school that traditionally has not been a a program that's won a lot of games every year, I think that makes it even more impressive. So the schools that are able to do that in this landscape, uh, you certainly have to take your hats off for them because I think it's just it's not something that's easy to do in this current SEC. Absolutely. The the star power, the coaches, and the teams has certainly uh, been fun to watch these last few years. It's it's gone from a league that – yeah, you wondered, okay, is it going to be any more than four in the NCAA tournament to uh, much, you know, much more and uh, well beyond that uh, when the brackets are put together. Blake, as we uh, finish things up here on our uh, Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast, uh, we, we should, of course, remind folks that you can find weekly content at blueribbon.substack.com. Our weekly newsletter has been a lot of fun to uh, for, for me to be a part of that and just see how you guys uh, you know, assemble everything every week and uh, to do these podcasts every week. So we, we've got a lot of great content for folks to consume. 
Yep, we do. And uh, with the season getting closer and closer now, I think we'll we'll have a lot more eyeballs on some of the stuff we've done. And that was kind of our plan was to kind of build up this nice little backlog of stuff before the season got here. Because obviously once the season starts, uh, we'll have a lot more. But uh, there's there's a lot of good stuff in there already, as you've been doing. Uh, my favorite venues, a lot of great you know places you've already talked about with that. And we've had so many different features uh, on a lot of different aspects of college basketball. So uh, if you're someone that I guess isn't subscribed yet, and you're probably listening to this podcast for free uh, we've just got a lot of stuff that you can go back and read and it's not necessarily stuff that you have to read today and by tomorrow it won't be relevant like right. that's what we try to do is stuff that you know you can read two weeks from now that, that's still going to have a lot of you know relevant stuff in it and stuff that's sort of timeless uh, and that's what we're trying to do with a lot of these features so uh, yeah be sure to check all that out uh, over at Substack, and of course we'll have the links and everything in there that you can find it on blake you make it easy thanks for the time and uh, we'll, we'll do it again <laughs> soon buddy thanks kevin He's Blake Lovell. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.